Well, welcome. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chad. I'm lead pastor of New Life Wichita. And last week we began this series, Where's God? And we compared finding or feeling the presence of God at times to this guy right here. And uh, most of you are familiar with the books where you have to try and find this guy in a mix of all kinds of people and chaos and these chaotic scenes that are all around him. And as a side note, the the author actually just produced the COVID-19 version, uh, a little bit easier to find Waldo. And then a friend of mine in Illinois actually had posted this one, try to hide now, you little, and I just blanked out the last word to keep it polite. But, uh, you know, this is it. We wish it could be this easy when it comes to finding God. Because we're talking about this universal frustration. For those of us that have any belief in God, the frustration of experiencing seasons in life where God feels impossible to find or feel, where God seems utterly unaware, indifferent, or absent. And for many of us, at seasons now, you or someone you know is furloughed or out of work or unable to work, unable to gather or connect face-to-face with friends and family, the gyms are closed, we're feeling more and more isolated, or the extensive time together trapped under one roof is becoming a little too much together time, and some people are feeling suffocated and overwhelmed. Uh, Some are unsure how they're going to financially or mentally recover from this. Some of you are pretty sure you're going to have to replace most of your wardrobe because you've been trapped with cabinets and a fridge full of food and eating and not moving has become a new life routine. And pandemic or not, it's challenging when you're in a season, when you're asking or even begging God, God, I just need things to get back to normal. Or I need an interview. Or God, I need income. God, I'm not even asking for a wife or a husband. I just want to date and now I can't even leave the home. God, I need health insurance. Or I need to feel better or my child, or my family member, they're suffering, and uh, God, I need my prodigal son or daughter to come home, or God, I, I need my marriage to be healed. And to add insult to injury, it can feel like everyone else around you is just fine, that for them, this pandemic's just an unplanned vacation, where you see people around you, they're like, they're not even good people. I mean, they don't pray, they, they don't ask God anything. It's just like things just happen for them magically. And it can feel like if God's there and God cares, if God's there and God cares, Wouldn't God answer my prayer? Yet your future remains uncertain, and you think if there really is a God, why wouldn't God answer my prayer? Uh, My request is is simple. Is it that God doesn't care? If he really loved me, he'd do something. If he could, he would. And if you stay in a season like that long enough, you begin to struggle with not just the character or nature of God, but you can begin to wonder, is there a God at all? And before we jump in the text, I just want you to hear this. That God's lack of cooperation is not an argument for or against his existence, his presence, or his activity. Now, emotionally, this seems like an argument, but the reason this seems like a valid argument is because many of us have chosen to believe in a God that doesn't exist. Last week, we talked about a God that doesn't exist, and, and that's bodyguard God. This is the God who doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people. Uh, that God will protect you from all things harmful. That That God does not exist. Jesus being the ultimate example, right? And today, I want us to dump the belief in this God, on-demand God, the God who responds to fair and selfless requests the way that we would. Uh, Maybe you're disappointed in or doubting God because he doesn't cooperate like a genie in a bottle. You might might say what I'm asking for is fair and it's reasonable, and we just assume that God would respond the way that we do. But the problem is that God has never existed, and that is definitely not the God of Jesus. And I know that's not an emotionally satisfying answer, 
But there is no rational correlation between whether or not God cooperates with you or with me and whether or not God is present, except that it demonstrates that bodyguard God and on-demand God do not exist. Now, maybe you were raised in a church or a religious upbringing where you were taught, if you have just enough faith, if you just have enough faith, God's going to answer your prayer. So then you feel like there's something wrong with you or wrong with your faith. Or, or maybe you grew up in a church where is, it was, if you give enough money, God will honor and bless you. So if God's not answering your prayer, then you must not be giving enough. Or uh, there, there, there must be some secret sin in your life. So it, it, you keep looking in the mirror going, what, what am I doing wrong? What do I have to do differently to get God to answer me? And we're doing this series uh, because uh, this is a difficult season for most of us. And in the big picture, our ultimate desire and what, what we exist for, our mission, is to ultimately help people find and follow Jesus. Because life is complicated, and Jesus came to help and, and in this life and in the next. But if you step into a relationship with Jesus, then you need to know Jesus shows there, there's no, if I do A, then God will do B. Or if I follow Jesus, God's going to give me this problem-free, wrinkle-free life. If we become a Christian, a Jesus follower with that mindset, then we set ourselves up for significant disappointment. Because throughout scripture, we experience men and women who did great things, individuals that God obviously loved. But if you were to drop into certain segments or seasons or chapters of their lives, you would find them in the most unwanted of circumstances. And if you didn't know the rest of the story, you'd assume about them what's easy to assume about you and that, that God is unaware or he's indifferent or he's absent. Last week, we looked at the life of John the Baptist. And today, we're going to talk about another man that if you grew up in church, you're probably quite familiar with his name. He's introduced to us in the New Testament as Saul. And then later, we know him as Paul. As most of you know, his goal was to wipe out this knockoff Jewish religion, but he encounters the resurrected Jesus about three or four years after the resurrection. And after that, of course, he was all in for Jesus. He spent a few years learning from Peter and James, the brother of Jesus in Jerusalem, and then he spent the next 20 years getting on ships that you and I would never get on. He fearlessly traveled all around the Mediterranean rim into hostile environments, introducing the news that God has done something unique in the world, sending Jesus to die for the sins of mankind, and that he had, in fact, been raised from the dead and seen. Paul had been shipwrecked and beaten and showed up uh, a stone and put in prison. He was snake bit. He almost drowned, and yet God did miracles through Paul. And Paul fearlessly stayed on mission because God had called him to this very specific task. And for 20 years, he did nothing but serve God faithfully. Yet soon after becoming a Christ follower, he was afflicted with a physical ailment that was such a big deal, it became an impediment and an obstacle to him doing the very thing that God called him to do. So he did what you and I would do. He began to ask God to remove it. And if you know Paul's story, you would expect God to go, of course, I mean, this is Paul, whom God loves. He, he knows him. He called him. He's, Paul's going to be famous. Paul will name their kids after him, him. One of the grandest buildings on the entire planet would be built in his name. But God's answer was no. God's response was, it doesn't matter how much faith you have, how long you pray, how obedient you are. It doesn't matter how long you fast or what you promise or how you bargain. The answer is no. Now, that should come as an encouragement for many of us. Because there may be times that you think God doesn't know your name or care or even know you exist. 
Yet a man whom God used possibly more than any man other than Jesus, God said to him, no. But God did promise him something else. And what he promised to Paul, he promises to you and me. Now, I'd encourage you to look this up in your Bible or your Bible app later. This comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start in the middle of verse 7, but let me tell you what's going on as we drop into this conversation. The book of 2 Corinthians is really a letter that Paul wrote to Christians who were part of a church that he started in Corinth. And in this letter, he's describing uh, his experience. And as part of the story, he says that God had revealed remarkable things for him to share with the church and with the world. But in order to keep him humble, God allowed him to experience this affliction. And in describing this, he gives us an insight into what we can expect when God says, no. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Now, thorn in my flesh is a phrase many of us have used to describe certain coworkers or a boss or people in our lives that bother us. But for Paul, this was a literal irritation, a physical ailment that hindered him wherever he went. He described it as a messenger of Satan. And, and we're, we don't know if he meant that literally or figuratively, but even in our current culture, we can attribute certain experiences to be from the underworld, like the trip from hell or the week from hell or the mother-in-law from, you get it. Uh, but he says this thorn in his flesh was so bad that every single day it was a constant torment to him. Some think he had recurring epilepsy or recurring bouts, bouts with malaria. Most believe it had something to do with his eyes because of the trip to Damascus he had where he was blinded for three days and that maybe he never fully recovered from that because we know he had horrible eyesight. But regardless, it was some kind of physical ailment that was a consistent torment to him everywhere he went while trying to do ministry. So now picture this. This is a guy who's been called specifically by God to do the most important thing anyone could be doing in that generation. And all he's asking God is, God, just do for me what I've seen you do for other people. Heal me. God, just do for me what I've seen you do for other people through me. Heal me. And this is us. It's God. All I'm asking you to do is do for me what you have done for other people. What you've done for other people, they're not even good people. And, and, and Paul tells us that three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, this doesn't mean that he prayed on Monday afternoon, Tuesday, skipped Wednesday. These are like seasons of prayer. So three times during this 20-year period, there were seasons where he just pleaded with God, maybe for days and nights. Maybe he fasted and prayed. We don't know. But it got so bad that he pleaded. He begged God. And think of the bargaining power the Apostle Paul had. I mean, you know how we bargain with God, right? God, I'll start going to church every Sunday, or I'll start giving more, or God, I'll serve, or I'll never pick up another drink or smoke, or I'll stop and I'll never and I'll always. And you do this for me, God, and I'll do this for you. I mean, imagine the Apostle Paul, how he could have bargained with God. God loved him, knew his name called him to do miraculous and incredible things. He was fully faithful, but in spite of this, God still said no. And I think for many of us, one of the frustrations for us is oftentimes we pray and pray, we ask and ask and bargain and bargain with God. We do whatever, whatever we feel we need to do, and yet we hear nothing. But again, part of that is because on demand, God doesn't exist. But Paul did get an answer, and the answer to Paul is available to you and me. Paul had again been pleading with God to be, remove whatever it is. That, and, and Paul describes God's response. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. 
The answer is no, but my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to give you what you're asking, but my grace is sufficient for you. You're going to have to go through another season of your life dealing with this, but my grace is sufficient for you. And grace, grace in this context is simply the ability to put one foot in front of the other, to get up through another and go through another day, to come home to the unknown one more afternoon, to find the energy, the strength, and the faith to keep moving in the direction that God would have you move. The grace is ultimately the ability to keep going in spite of the fact that nothing around you has changed. And God says to the Apostle Paul, whom he loved, I'm not going to remove this physical problem, this impediment, or this challenge from your life, but I am going to give you the strength to keep going forward with it. For, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And again, this isn't an emotionally satisfying answer, is it? This is not the response we want. Now, even though most of us, we want our lives to somehow showcase God's goodness and power in a compelling way, but our version is to be the one in the end zone with a football under one arm and our finger pointed up, giving God the glory after we've made the game-winning touchdown. We want to be the one trotting around third base because we knocked the ball out of the park and we're headed to home with our teammates uh, uh, waiting at home plate for us with our finger up in the air, giving glory to God. We want to be the one posting that picture on Instagram from our amazing vacation that 90% of our friends could never afford from a place that's so beautiful where hashtag blessed and thankful and hashtag isn't God good. I mean, we're okay giving glory to God, but we don't want God to showcase his glory out of our weakness. We want God to showcase his glory out of our talent, our opportunity, our strength, our accomplishment, out of our blessings and abundance and wealth. We want to be the valedictorian or get the employee of the year award and to be behind the podium addressing the crowd while holding our award. And we say, I just want to thank my fellow students and my associates and the company. But last but not least, I just want to thank God. If it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be here today. Or we want to be the one that pulls a toddler from the pool and revives them or pulls a person from the burning car or we stop someone that's meant to do harm to others and all the cameras are there and we just go, you know, I'm, I'm just no, I'm no hero. I just thank God that he put me in the right place at the right time and everybody claps and your parents or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your wife or your husband, they're just so proud of you. I mean, we want God to get glory from us, but we want him to showcase it through our strength our ability, and our talents. And I admit, I'm absolutely one of those people, aren't you? God leveraged my success. God put me in the spotlight, and I'll point to heaven. And God does that sometimes. But sometimes God says, no. In this particular case, I'm going to showcase my strength through your weakness, your inability, your lack of opportunity. I'm going to leverage what some would consider failure. I'm going to get glory through you on the stage of your weakness, not your strengths. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And if you're a Christian or a follower of Jesus, I mean, isn't it true when you meet another Christian that has a life circumstances that make you shudder, that make you walk away going, I don't know if I could deal with that. God, I'm so glad that's not me, but wow, they are extraordinary. I saw this firsthand with my aunt and my uncle as for 16 years, they watched my cousin battle cystic fibrosis. And in her final days, they stood helplessly by her bed in the hospital, watching as their daughter, just old enough to get her driver's license, literally suffocated to death on her own body fluids before their very eyes. And yet they remained some of the most loving 
compassionate, servant-hearted, joyful people I've ever known. And how? And they would tell you with a smile on their face, it was God's trustworthiness, God's strength, God's grace was sufficient for them. And you walk away from people like this, go like, I don't even think I could survive that. Or, or maybe you look at some and say, I, I don't know how I'd manage that kind of marriage like they do and keep such a great attitude. Or I don't know how I'd manage that kind of boss or coworker the way they do. I don't know how they deal with that kind of loss or live with that kind of financial limitation or setback and have the attitude they do. It makes no logical sense. And there are people to whom God has said no and to their fair and selfless requests, and yet they seem to have peace. It's like, what is that? And if you talk with them long enough, eventually they'll say some version that this isn't the story I would write or have written, but God's trustworthy. His grace is sufficient for me. God has chosen to showcase his strength in the midst of my weakness. And aren't those some of the most impressive, most awe-inspiring Christians you've ever met in your life? Like many of you, there are Christian teachers and thinkers and preachers, teachers, individuals that you love to listen to, I love to listen to and learn from, but the people that move you and move me the most and just jack up our faith to a whole new level are the people through whom God has chosen to showcase his strength, not in their talent or their strength, but in their weakness. I mean, aren't those the people that just inspire you? So here's a heads up. Here's a heads up. If it's in your future, an explanation, and if it's in your past, uh, explanation if it's in your past, but some comfort if it's in your current reality that God has, will, and is going to showcase his strength in your weakness if you learn to take no for an answer. It has nothing to do with his love for you or his compassion or his presence in your life. In fact, his strength in your weakness is his presence in your life. Paul goes on and says this, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. For I delight in weaknesses, insults, and hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I mean, ever met anybody like that? I mean, aren't they most, the most incredible people you've ever met? Sometimes God says, no, I'm not going to change your circumstances. I'm not going to fix it. I'm not going to interrupt the laws of nature or overwhelm their willpower to make, cause them to make a better decision or drag them back. Or, or uh, I'm not going to make them change their mind. I'm not going to do that, but in the meantime, while you wait and while you pray, while I work on them in my time, while I work through other people in the meantime, my grace is sufficient for you. So as I begin to wrap this up, here's what we learn from Paul. The first is this. We have permission to ask God to remove our thorns. It's not like a faith to ask God to remove your thorns, uh, whatever or whoever they may be. But the second point is this. God has the permission, God has permission to say no. You have permission to ask, like Paul, but God has the per- permission to say no because on-demand God doesn't exist. God is bigger and better than that. Number three, God may choose to showcase his power on the stage of your weaknesses. In other words, it, it may never change. Some things may never go away, but some things may never get better. It may never work out or heal. It may never come back together. together. And, but this is not a reflection of God's concern or love for you. It's an opportunity for him to showcase his strength in the midst of your weaknesses. Number four, you can't experience God's sustaining grace while resisting his will. There are times where as believers, we can become intensely frustrated with God because he won't answer our prayer. And for some, they just decide, I'm done. 
I'm not going back to church. I'm not praying anymore. I'm not reading my Bible. And you just shut God out. For others of you, you've seen too much. And what God has done in your life and the lives of others, and though it seems it would be easier, you, you just can't abandon your faith. But ultimately, you'll never experience sustaining grace as long as you're striving against his will. Even if it's a short-term will for your life, you'll just be mad and bitter. You may still be a Christian or a believer, but you won't benefit from it in this life. And if I were to hear your story, I'd feel the same way. I'd be, I'd be mad at God as well. This is no condemnation in what I'm saying. I'm just stating a fact that you'll never experience the grace of God and your weaknesses as long as you're resisting and striving against and refusing to take no for an answer. All four of my sons are men now, and some of the most precious moments as a dad has been talking with them and having them reflect back on growing up and the times when mom or I said no at times that frustrated or angered them, even caused them to hate us a little. But now years later with different perspective, now they understand. And there are things that they sincerely thank us for that at one time they kind of hated us for. Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the one we follow, he taught us ultimately sustaining grace begins with not my will, but your will be done. It begins with the prayer that our Savior prayed in the garden when he's prayed to God, God, I don't want to drink this cup of death, this cup of crucifixion. Here's what I want and don't want. Here's what I'd like you to do. But now that you know what I'd like you to do differently, not my will, but your will be done. And into the gap between what I want and what God has decided to do, between what I think God owes me or I deserve or what it seems like God is doing for everybody else and what God chooses to do or not do for me, in that gap is sufficient, sustaining, empowering grace. But you'll never experience it as long as you're striving and resisting and arguing. It begins when we say, if this is what you've chosen for me, Not my will, but your will be done. I'm trusting you for your strength and empowerment. And the reason I can say this with confidence is not just because of a verse in the Bible. I can say it with confidence because of my own 51 years of life experience, over 30 years of following Jesus. Through the years, I have faced things personally, and I've known and walked alongside men and women and young people who trusted God and followed Jesus, who did not get a bow on top of the end of their story this side of heaven and the people I know now that are in the midst of it, who every single day, uh, in some cases every single hour, would say, I don't know that my circumstances are ever going to change, but God's grace is sufficient for me. And I'll choose to close with this. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he, he seeks to lift them above their circumstances by saying something that would sound foolish and stupid, even if it weren't for who was saying it. Paul, who had suffered greatly, all the while doing exactly what God wanted him to do, to whom God said, no, I'm not going to remove your suffering. Paul writes these words, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, Paul believed that Jesus taught that there's more to this life than this life. That somehow this life is a blip on the screen compared to eternity. And yet how we live and respond to God here has a direct connection to life after. 
and to those that hold firm to their faith on this side of things who allow God's trustworthiness and grace to give them strength, uh, the strength needed to faithfully keep putting one foot in front of the other as God leads them. At at a point in time in the future, here's the payoff and reward. And it's described in these amazing words. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be as people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. God is not unaware, indifferent, or absent. This is not the end of the story. It is only the beginning. Let's pray. Let me pray for us. God, I pray for myself and for everyone that may be listening or watching, God, that I I just confess I don't take lightly anything that someone might be facing or going through right now. I pray for them and I pray for us that if we are, when we go through these seasons where you seem so far, so indifferent, so absent, so unaware, that God, please, that you would call to mind that, no, you are faithful. And in the midst of circumstances where you seem far away, you aren't far away. You know our names and you know our stories and you always have the best in mind. And so, Father, I pray that you strengthen us and that you get us through whatever season it is and get us to the other side where we can look back where finally everything will make sense. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.